Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For today, we are joined by members from UBS Asset Management for another episode of Around the Horn, a monthly fixed income roundtable where we do hear from top portfolio managers as well as business heads from Asset Management's Muni, Taxable Fixed Income, and Liquidity Teams. We do hear candidly from them on their views on markets and what they believe you should be focused on within the fixed income space. For this month, glad to welcome back Anthony Liotti, head of the Fixed Income SMA Advisory Group. Anthony will also serve as our moderator for today. We also have with us Dave Walzak, as well as Dave Rothweiler, Senior Portfolio Managers for Asset Management's Liquidity Strategies, Dave Vignolo, Head of Asset Management's U.S. Corporate Fixed Income Strategies, Anders Nelson, Portfolio Manager for U.S. High Yield Corporate Fixed Income, David Michael, Senior Portfolio Manager for Emerging Markets, and Chuck Grande, Head of the Municipal Investment Team and Senior Municipal Portfolio Manager. So with that, Anthony, I'll now pass it over to you to lead this month's roundtable. Welcome back. Dan, thank you, as always. Um, and hello, UBS, and, uh, and to your clients who are tuning into this call via podcast, uh, hello, and, and thank you for tuning in. Um, so let me start out here with some of the sort of macro Thinking and thoughts on, on, on my mind here. Um, so here we sit. We've got uh, mid-August, a couple more weeks until uh, Labor Day, you know, the, the unofficial end of summer. And we have, I'd say, really seen uh, the summer winds um, shift a bit over the past couple weeks. You know, the, the markets are, I'd say, of late since August started really reminding us of the definition of the word uh, humility. Uh, I want to start by just quickly going back uh, and remember the years um, just just prior to the, to the pandemic, right? The market had been really generating and operating with a the general narrative of, of lower for longer, right? And and that was one in which us as, as bond investors um, were really not too fond of, right? And if you look at the time frame from again just prior to the pandemic, December 2019, uh, and you go back five years to December of 2014, over that five year span, ten year Treasuries. Average two and a quarter percent, and the thirty-year Treasury averaged um, right around two point eight zero percent. Now, inflation was close to the Fed's target, which was two percent. But during those times, as a gentle reminder, what you know, what we were asking ourselves was the same two questions, right? When will rates move higher? And then, secondly, will they move higher enough to really provide me with that high and consistent level of income to support our daily living needs, right? 2022, and clearly, um, as we move in, you know, halfway, more than halfway to, uh, through 2023, has clearly seen some of those, those questions answered, right? So, so, so now, what has really changed over the first few weeks of this month is that narrative, right? And that narrative has switched from a recession on the new horizon, coupled with the Fed going to shortly pivot or potentially be cutting rates in 2023, to the shift in the narrative being, you know what? Just sit tight here because we might just be here for a while, right? I.e., the narrative has shifted in a matter of weeks from higher for longer, a well away from lower for longer, which we were used to prior to the pandemic. And as we sit here today, uh, on, on August 17th, the 10-year Treasury is right around 430, and you've got a, a 30-year Treasury right around 440. Those are highs that we have not seen in, in close to a decade, 
right? Really close to a decade. And so the reason for this recent shift is correlated really to main one thing, right? The state of the U.S. economy, the, the expectations, the, the history books, the, the historical charting, whatever you want to say, it's all been challenged as this economy in the U.S. is clearly not slowing down at the expected pace in which most theor- your, you know, your theorists, your economists, all that we hear on, on, on regular TV and, and read about, it's just not happening clearly. Uh, as we would have expected, right? Um, and so what we'll expect to see from the Fed is, is probably doing a bit more tightening. I think we will likely all agree that we're much, much closer to the end of this tightening cycle than the midway point or the beginning. But the story will then be this. The Fed will wait, wait, and wait until and they are sure that the economy cools down for sure. Right? They are not going to do anything that makes them have to go back and rewind the tape and start tightening once again. And in my opinion, the cooling that we really need to see uh, in this marketplace um, is, is if unemployment really begins to pick up on significantly. Right? And there's just there's, it, the economy is just running too hot, and and or some or you know unforeseen broad event that will cause a quick and sharp economic activity. But that theme. Of being, you know, higher for longer is good. Um, so, you know, volatility. Right? We, we continually repeat ourselves on this call that volatility will persist. This will not change. Uh, volatility, though, brings opportunities. And at these rates, I'd say this: more and more investors are realizing that this volatility, as I mentioned, will be here. But the fixed income continues to whet the appetite for those clients looking to lock in yield and coupon interest because, again, we have not seen these yields in some time. So there's clearly a lot more that we can talk about at the macro level, but I really want to turn it over to our portfolio managers, allow them to kind of share their thoughts on the market, how we're positioning our portfolios across these different fixed income solutions that we have within UBS asset management. So let me start like I always do on the short end of the curve, uh, and I'll lead it off, or we'll lead it off, excuse me, with Dave Walzak and, and Dave Rothwell. So Dave, you want to take us away, my friend? Yeah, great. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, so from our side, um, you, we obviously got the Fed minutes uh, that were released last week for their July meeting. And I think, you know, overall, they read a little bit more on the hawkish side. Um, you know, definitely some of the comments indicating that the Fed still thinks, um, you know, they have some ways to go in terms of reining in inflation, you know, would imply, you know, potentially the scope for an additional uh, hike beat before uh, the end of the year. Um, now, I think the big question is going to be obviously around the timing, Um you know, looking at Fed funds futures right now, we're seeing about three basis points, only three basis points priced in for the September meeting, and then cumulatively for the November meeting, about 11 basis points. So we didn't actually see those figures react too much to the minutes. Um, yeah, I would say um, more of the action has been seen in some of the longer data Fed funds uh, contracts um, over the past several weeks. You know, we've seen the December contract. Uh, move up from a low of about 397 uh, on August 8th uh, to about 432 now. Uh, so really back to what you were talking about before, Anthony, in terms of the market, you know, thinking that um, they're going to have to price in, maybe the Fed being less aggressive next year with any, you know, cuts that do ultimately materialize. Um, so I think we're, we're seeing definitely more of that reaction uh, in some of those longer data contracts. But, you know, for us in the money markets here, um, you know, I'd say over the summer, uh, if you look at how we position our money market funds, you'll notice a little bit of an incremental uh, increase in our weighted average maturity. Um, you know, our government treasury funds right now are anywhere between 10 to 12 days from uh, a WAM standpoint. 
our prime funds are closer to, to about 17 days. So um, clearly not as short as we were around the debt ceiling, um, you know, time back in, in late May. You know, if you recall our treasury fund, we had a wham uh, on some days of, of a day. Um, so we're clearly a little bit longer uh, than that period. But um, still, you know, being a little bit cautious, given that, you know, there could be a chance for, for another uh, hike at maybe one of the next upcoming meetings here for, from the Fed. Uh, so we'll definitely be watching uh, the data as the, the Fed will be as well uh, over the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, I also just wanted to touch on, um, you know, we did hear uh, the Fitch uh, rating downgrade of the U.S. government um, back earlier this month. Um, you know, I think overall in terms of the impact on at least the front end markets, I think it's uh, expected to be pretty minimal. Um, you know, the uh, short-term rating was remained uh, unchanged at F1+, plus, uh, so it was really only the long-term rating, which is downgraded uh, by Fitch. So um, no real, uh, again, direct impact to the front end. And, in fact, um, for Fitch-rated money market funds, of which some of ours are, are rated at the front level by, by Fitch, uh, they actually put out a press release explicitly stating that there will be no change to those fund level ratings. So, I think overall, um, you know, pretty much not a benefit for us here in the front end. And I think, you know, that would, you know, extend to the broader uh, treasury market as, as well. Um, I think, you know, another catalyst of some of the price action that we have seen uh, in treasuries across the curve was obviously the treasury refunding announcement earlier this month, um, where basically treasury announced that they're going to be increasing the size of uh, coupon issuance going forward to fund, uh, you know, the larger than expected uh, government deficit. Uh, in the interim, though, Treasury is going to be um, issuing more bills to kind of bridge that gap um, between um, the, the need and then happen to issue more coupons uh, down the road as well. So we do expect, you know, further issuance of, of T-bills uh, to materialize in, in the coming months, you know, above and beyond kind of what was initially uh, projected. Um, you know, thus far, we obviously have seen a lot of Treasury bill issuance uh, coming off the, the debt ceiling episode. And overall, I think it's been digested pretty well by the market. You know, you've seen the decline in usage in the Fed's RP facility. Uh, it's stalled uh, a little bit over the past few weeks, so we are paying close attention to that. But, you know, there's still uh, roughly about $1.8 trillion in cash sitting in the Fed's RP, which um, if we do start to see some more achievements in emergent T-bills, you know, we would expect some of that cash to, to move out of uh, that facility there. So uh, with that, I think I'll pause and turn it over to Dave Rothfeller to talk to you uh, about some of our uh, other uh, liquidity SMA strategies. Okay. Thanks so much, Dave. So um, we've continued to stay pretty close to home on duration. Uh, for, for instance, in our short duration, one of the three strategy, we are in the range of about neutral to 0.05 years versus the index. Uh, moving on to credit, the Bloomberg U.S. corporate one to three option adjusted spread bounced off the recent lows. He's now hovering around 79 basis points. Um, building on what Anthony said earlier with all-in yields, the five and three-quarter range front-end yields continue to be attractive. Um, just as a reminder, the last time front-end yields were this high was about 15 years ago back in 2008, so it's hard to believe. But, um, um, you know, when we were talking low for long, uh, it's a different environment today. So when looking at the ISP of A1 to 3 indices, the spread between the financials and industrials peaked at around 75 basis points back in March uh, because of the regional bank volatility. That spread is steadily narrowed by over half to about 30 basis points today. So we continue to favor the financial sector with a focus on U.S. money center banks, Canadian as well as Aussie paper. ABS continues to be one of our choice assets with two- and three-year AAA auto paper uh, trading conservatively around 50 basis points to the curve. On the flip side, we continue to avoid additional exposure in some industrial names. The spreads are too rich on a relative value basis. 
As we look to the end of the summer season, corporate new issuance tends to drop off, which will be a technical positive in the near term. In some, as long as we continue to have economic growth, it should be supportive. It should be a supportive environment for corporate credit overall. So, that being said, I'll pass it on to David Nola. Dave. Yeah, thanks, David. You know, on, on the investment grade credit side, um, the space really remains on real solid footing, and, and there's two reasons, you know, for that. One, the technical side of the equation, you know, with all in yield on the corporate index now today at 581, and that's you know the one to 30 year corporate index. Historically, that's a very attractive entry point uh, for total return investors, and historically, you know, between you know four and a half and five is where we resided for for many many years, and so once we get above know, into the fives and above 550, that's um, pretty much an outlier from a total return perspective and attractive entry point. So that's where we, we sit today. So, you know, with that, we're seeing a lot of inflows into the asset class. Uh, year to date, we're probably around $160 billion in inflows into investment grade credits. And then on the supply side, uh, even though we had a strong start to the year for new issuance, um, you know, through the first seven months here, eight months, supply even though September is going to be a heavy new issue month, which is traditionally the case, 125 to 150 billion, um, the last you know last quarter of the year is expected to be quite slow. And you know with that that new issue supply slowing down and the strong demand with the attractive all in yields, it's really given the investment grade credit space a very nice tailwind um, as we move you know through this cycle. So from a technical standpoint, we're really in a good place. And then fundamentals continue to remain. You know, pretty good. I mean, there's slight deterioration, but as Anthony said, you know, with a low unemployment and solid wage growth, you know, consumption is really strong in the United States. So with that, you know, growth forecasts continue to be revised up. The Fed revised up their forecast for the second half of the year. I just saw a revision for the third quarter growth from Goldman Sachs, and they're over 2% for the third quarter, and a lot of forecasts are being revised up for the fourth quarter to, you know, 1% to 2% growth or even possibly even a little better. So you have that scenario from a fundamental perspective and, you know, corporate America being in a, in a pretty strong place there, strong technicals. You know, in general, the soft landing scenario is getting more, more you know, I'd say a little more support. That, that That's a more of a likely outcome. And the recession outcome will continue to be diminished over the next, you know, 6 to 12 months. So that's but very supportive for, for investment grade credit. So some of the things we've been doing, um, really the bigger changes we've made are in our active intermediate strategy, which is, you know, one to 10 years. Um, we've been extending um, maturities and, and selling our overweight in the front end and going into the five, 10-year part of the curve. So now we really want to lock in these yields for a longer time frame uh, for our active intermediate uh, accounts. So, you know, the all-in yield for that strategy right now is probably between 560 and 570. Uh, so it's really attractive. So we've been extending out um, into that part of the curve to grab that yield and, and hold that for a little longer because we do think, as Anthony said, that you know even if the Fed is, um, as we expect, close to the end of their Fed rate hike cycle, you know the rise in interest rates that we've that we've seen is actually like the, the market kind of doing the Fed's job for them by raising by the market you know pushing up interest rates. So so we've been doing that, and there are really no changes for our sectors. We're still overweight some big money center banks. Uh, we, saw, we still like the strong regional banks. Um, you know, their spread uh, advantage over industrials is about 30 to 40 basis points, which historically is, is still pretty attractive. So we like that space and continue to be overweight that part of the of the, of the sectors in, in the corporate market. Within industrials, we still like the cable media uh, sector. We still have an overweight there. And energy with the strong fundamentals and oil, 
know, now above $80 a barrel. Um, we still favor some of the uh, energy subsectors, specifically the pipeline sector uh, for overweights for the, all the accounts. So, so from a fundamental perspective, um, you know, everything's pretty good, and, and we've really only been underweight like technology, you know, from M&A concerns and, and just relative value. But in general, most of the corporate market in the, um, in the consumer sector is, is quite firm and, and still well, well supported by investors because of the growth in, in the U.S. economy. From a, from a curve perspective, I mentioned it just in general, we've been selling, you know, we're still a little bit overweight to front end, but we've taken that exposure down. I'd say it's roughly 10 or 15 percent. We moved out from, the, you, know, one, you know, one to three years out to like between five and 10 years is what we've done in the active intermediate strategy. But in general, you know, no real changes outside of that. Uh, duration, you know, maturity, average maturity for the active intermediate portfolio is about four and a quarter years now. So we push that out. And then our latter strategies, um, you know, which are 70% single A, 30% triple B, um, they're hovering probably around, you know, a little lower yield, probably between 550s to 560s. So still really attractive yields, um, you know, one to three and one to five or one to 10 ladders. But I will say I've seen more interest in our investment grade strategies. I've seen more interest in the active and immediate strategy, um, as well as our one to 10 year ladder to lock in these yields for a longer period of time. So I'll stop there, and I will pass it on to Andres Nelson to talk about our high yield and our crossover strategies. Andres, it's all yours. Thanks, David. Uh, U.S. high yield is holding up well. In fact, we uh, or spreads just traded at the lowest level in almost a year and a half, and they've been oscillating between 375 and 400 basis points over the last month. The lowest rated part of our market, so triple C's and lower, uh, have shown continued strength over the last several months as investors have been repricing the likelihood of a near-term recession. In the absence of any big surprises, uh, we could see spreads staying around here or even grinding tighter in the near term. Uh, it will depend on sentiment, but financial conditions and liquidity are supportive for credit risk right now, and uh, we don't see a material amount of new issue supply this month, so technicals will continue to be supportive. Looking further ahead, we do think that uh, risk is skewed towards wider spreads and higher volatility, um, which is uh, the reason behind our preference for buying quality. Both credit spreads and vol are at low levels and have been suppressed from investors chasing lower quality bonds after being absent from that part of the market for quite some time. Um, that trade could reverse rather quickly um, as there are some uh, risks that we see on the horizon. Uh, as time goes by, we'll get a better sense of how inflation and growth develop as um, the higher rates uh, work their way through the real economy. And after Labor Day, so in two or three weeks, uh, when more people are back in their seats, we could see a modest pickup in bond issuance to refi bonds and loans. Uh, two, three years ago, companies did a great job at refinancing their debt at very low interest rates. But now that some time has passed, the maturity wall is creeping closer again as many issuers have held off uh, from refinancing their debt um, in this higher uh, yield environment. You can actually see this looking at recent new issues uh, to keep financing costs low and not lock in these higher coupon rates for a longer time period. They're coming to market with shorter maturities and backed by security. In 2025, we have 10% of the high yield index coming due and another 14% in uh, 2026. Uh, we don't see these figures as concerning. It's more of a hill than a wall, really. Uh, but the maturity cohorts, both of them carry a coupon rate currently of about 6.3%. And if they were to come to market today for uh, refinancing, they'd probably have to pay closer to 8%, so two percentage points higher. Um, at some point, um, this will happen. And if we're still in this higher yield environment, um, it will start to hurt credit fundamentals. Uh, 
Um, speaking of credit fundamentals, we've been getting an update on Q2 earnings over the last month. Uh, most high-yield issuers have uh, finished uh, reporting, and uh, numbers look better than expected. Uh, we see continued strength in the consumer. Uh, credit metrics overall have deteriorated slightly since the last quarter, but they're still strong and coming off peak levels. That also shows in the number of rising stars that we've had a year to date. So those are companies that were upgraded from high yield to investment grade. Uh, year to date, that number stands at 50 billion in, in bonds. So that's about three and a half percent of our index that has transitioned from high yield to investment grade. And those names eventually get sold uh, by high yield managers and they get reinvested in high yield bonds. Um, it's a similar story to um, the investment grade story where overall yields are attractive. Uh, we're collecting a generous coupon. Uh, so even in a sideways market. And uh, if yields uh, do move higher, uh, we get to reinvest at even more attractive levels. Uh, we specifically like short-duration high yields for this aspect. About a third of the portfolio turns over naturally per year and gets reinvested at the market rate. Today, the short-duration high-yield portfolios uh, yield 6.7% with a duration of 2.1 years and a double B-minus rating. Our other offering is the crossover strategy that holds about 45% in short-duration high yield and 55% in investment grade. Uh, currently, that yield 6.2% has a uh, 2.9 year duration and a triple B minus rating. Okay, I'll now hand it over to David Michael to speak about emerging markets. Thank you, Anders. In emerging markets, uh, over the last month, spreads were relatively flat. Um, emerging market investment grade spreads tightened by 18 basis points, while high yield spreads were marginally wider. These uh, flat Spreads over the last month are a positive um, attribute, and uh, uh, given the volatility we've seen in U.S. Treasury, over the last month, Treasury 10-year rates are about 45 basis points wider, um, and this has really driven negative total returns across most of emerging markets. Um, kind of if we're looking at what's happened over emerging markets over the last month from a headline perspective, uh, Argentina held primary elections uh, at the PASO. And markets were once again shocked by Javier Malay's, uh, a far-right candidate's outperformance relative to polls. Uh, in China, economic data continues to disappoint market expectations. Uh, property developers continue to show uh, liquidity stress. And for the first time, we're starting to see this pass into the financial system. Uh, Chinese Politburo meeting provided some optimistic uh, language in their publications where they prioritize consumption and drop the phrasing that housing is for living and not speculation. We view these um, these references as a sign of improving confidence at, that's important for policymakers. After another round of rate cuts last week, uh, we expect stimulus to come within the next uh, month that should support the Chinese domestic economy and help overall global growth. Uh, in this backdrop, emerging markets uh, remained, act, uh, primary activity remained fairly low with another month of net negative supply. Um, that's now 15 out of the last 17 months with net negative supply. And as we wrap up the summer, we expect this to continue um, with a um, net negative supply of 20 to 30 billion uh, per month. And that will accelerate as we move into the fall to 40 to 50 billion per month, which will ultimately increase cash positions, leaving emerging markets in a very strong technical position. But as I mentioned last month, 
we still need U.S. Treasury volatility to decline uh, and find a new range before risk assets like emerging markets are able to perform. From here, let me hand it off to Chuck Gonday, who will provide an update from our municipal bond team. Thank you. So the municipal bond market is coming to the end of the summer period. Um, so far for the year, munis have returned a positive 2%, 2.05% on the year. Um, and most of this has been balanced by technicals. Um, supplies down close to between 5 and 9% in general, um, whereas demand has, re- has remained steady. If you dig a little deeper into where that demand is coming from, you'll discover that um, in reality, mutual funds are seeing the big outflows in our asset class, whereas it's being made up by um, the growth in the SMA platforms like our own and ETFs in general. So um, that balance has existed for most of the summer, producing the positive returns. Um, and muni underperformance um, or negative performance has really been driven by Treasury volatility and um, the extraordinary move in um, Treasury yields higher. Um, for the month of August thus far, we're generating a negative return of uh, 1%. And without the balance of technical supply and demand, I, I suspect that our returns would be even worse. Um, but as I said, we're coming to the end of what I would describe as the Muni summer, um, where we'll see um, summer vacations, um, light staffs, issuance uh, drop off as we head towards the final few weeks of August. Um, Looking out in the future, um, we do have some concern about what could occur um, without the reinvestment dollars of maturities and coupons in September and October, and we do think that we could experience greater volatility during um, this period of time as issuers ramp up their year-end issuance in the market. Um, We continue to support um, purchasing bonds out in just beyond that 10-year retail area, Um, 13 and 14 years out. I think the big change for us has been that while munis remain fair value to rich across the curve, um, the absolute yield levels that we're seeing in the front end of the curve do support um, just locking in an opportunity, um, two- and three-year yields um, in excess of 3% in our market um, do make us wake up and think um, we have to capture this today. So I would say that whereas in the past we've been very negative on the municipal maturities, say eight years and in, five years and in, um, we're a little bit more supportive with yields being um, higher than 3% in two and three years. Um, So we have begun to lock in those types of yields. Um, In general, uh, the muni market does look positioned well for the end of the summer. Um, we do expect that any dips that might occur in September or October will be buying opportunities because one of the things that we're seeing in the market is this reflection of net negative supply as we head into November and December, where we expect investors to receive more money back in terms of coupon generation and maturities um, than bonds being issued into the market. So that would be supportive, again, of the market as we go into year-end. So in balance, um, it's been the technicals that have supported the positive performance of the muni market. Um, We could see those technicals change as we head into year-end. We view that as an opportunity to take advantage um, of locking in higher yields on the front end of the curve and in that 13-, 14-year area of the market. We are extremely cautious of the long end of the muni market where, again, valuations are rich. Um, and really, um, we do think yields have to back up more to be more reflective in general of just higher yields across the fixed income special, uh, spectrum. With that, I will turn it back to Anthony. Great. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, thanks to the team. Um, 
I'll just ask, uh, I don't know, Steve or, or Neil or on my team, any questions for the uh, for the PMs here at all before I uh, close out the, the call? Hey, Chuck, it's Neil. Can you just spend a, a couple of seconds on on um, the fundamentals in the market, the credit cycle that we're in? Sure. So um, it's it's been surprising. I mean, muni fundamentals have been strong throughout the year, um, and we're seeing that reflected in credit spreads, which have been tremendously tight. Also, I will say that we are beginning to see cracks in the fundamentals in that um, state and local governments are showing less and less forecasting of the positive revenue stream. Uh, that gives us pause primarily because while we're forecasting negative re- revenues, um, uh, out in the future, we're not seeing any move on the expenditure side to cut programs that were instituted and funded primarily with federal dollars. So it does give us um, some pause, some caution. Uh, certainly, this is the top of the credit cycle. When we look at it at on a relative value basis, spreads have been incredibly tight um, across the uh, rating spectrum, and in particularly high-demand states like California, um, high demand state like New York, you add tight credit spreads, good fundamentals, tight credit spreads, and high demand. And um, it's they are some of the richest securities that you could purchase in the muni market right now. I'd, I'd tell folks to favor, if anything, um, the phenomenon of Texas local school districts wrapped in the Texas PSF wrapper, um, providing you with a AAA rated credit wrapped in insurance, solid underlying fundamentals where you can pick up 30, 40, 60 basis points in yield um, versus anything that you could accomplish in California and New York. So if that option is open to you, the fundamentals are good there. Um, You're being paid to own those names in excess of what you are in the general market. And higher credit rating than U.S. Treasury, right? (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Thanks for that, uh, uh, Chuck. Uh, Steve, I think you might have a question. Yeah. I actually do. Um, Viggs, I was hoping uh, you might be able to address this one. I, I uh, like the fact that you're adding some duration, taking advantage of the, the air pocket that we've been seeing in, in, in the yields here. Maybe you could just address whether this is more of a strategic or tactical decision uh, on your team's part to, uh, to add, add duration. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I think right now, uh, because the view is still – long term that, you know, interest rates will, will trend back down at some point. And so it's really, for us right now, this is a strategic move. Um, and we're not, you're not going to, you know, if the yields fall, you know, 25 basis points from here and we stay in this range, we prefer to stay long at this point. So we'd really like to see a more material move down in, in Treasury yields uh, to reflect, you know, it's going back to neutral. So we like the, the carry advantage of staying long in this environment at these yield levels. So that's going to be pretty, I'd say, you know, something like close to more of a 100 basis point move lower in yields before we prefer to you know, move off the overweights from a maturity duration perspective for the active intermediate strategies. Okay. And then do you have more flexibility to add duration in intermediate corporate bonds? Yeah, we do have a little more flexibility. Yeah. If you, you know, you're saying if we want to add more to the overall duration uh, yeah. than we currently, yeah, we do have a little more flexibility, but you know, if we went up to around a four and a half years uh, duration, you know, average maturity, um, we'd be a little more than a half year long. So we probably could, you know, at one point maybe go to that level, but I would say we wouldn't uh, most likely go above that yeah. half year, you know, half year type uh, duration for the for the strategy. Awesome. Thanks for framing it for us. 
Yep. Thanks, folks. Really appreciate that. Good, good, good questions here to, to close this out. And my closing comments, I, I would just say this here. Um, you know, I, we, we mentioned that we talked about, you know, expectation of, of continued volatility, whether it's in um, all fixing um, um, asset classes that, that we discussed here on the call. Um, but I think when what we want to do is, is, is leg into this market, right? And, and you heard it from our PMs here, right? They, they, yes, they, they, they feel longer term. Um, it is the right thing when you talk about these levels here. But, and clients continually come to us and are asking us, I want to take on duration, but we need to be smart about it, uh, about, and, and, and how and when we do it, right? And I think, you know, Steve's comment right there, he, he used one word, which is the air pockets. When we see, these sort of big drops in price, big increases in yield, as we've been experiencing, um, you know, use that as to your favor, right? Those are times when you you can begin to to move and, and balance out your your portfolio by taking on uh, some some additional uh, duration in portfolio. It's it's a lot better to do it that way than it is to chase it on that fear fear of missing out trade. So, um, as always, we are um, obviously here um, for those who um, are tuning in for us to have private conversations regarding your fixed income portfolios. So please um, just let us know if you'd like to have those conversations. And, and with that, thank you for tuning in to the call. Um, we wish you all a pleasant and safe rest of, uh, rest of your summer. Thank you. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. It does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any specific product or service. UBS does not provide legal or tax advice, and we would recommend listeners to obtain appropriate independent professional advice. Some of the views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Group AG or its affiliates. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. These services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG and is a member of FINRA and SIPC.